0: Previously on Pixel Vision, Place Pillars of Eternity.
1: The year is 2015. The dubious messaging platform is Google Hangouts. The place is Gilded Vale, Deerwood. The following of verbatim extracts from the Pixel Vision archives.
0: The caravan carries travelers bound for the frontier hamlet of Gilded Vale, you among them, where a local lord has offered land and wealth to settlers from abroad looking for a fresh start. Act 1. Babies are being born hollow. Well, kinda. Hollowborn without souls. Meanwhile, two excited Kickstarter backing adventurers have a powerful awakening. They are Watchers.
1: I'm Todd, a Cypher. They seem a tad OP, but I'm still finding it tough ish. Got my tank and another DPS, so all good tactics wise. No healer yet, though. P face.
0: I'm Oakmoth, a godlike monk specialising in nature. I find spellcasters tend to be too challenging because of low constitution. Man, I wish I'd put more stats into resolve and intellect. Act 2.
1: It's all kicking off. Villainous Archmace Theos of the Laden Key gathering souls to bolster Goddess Wodica, feuding with his maligned lover Lady Web, and all the
0: time the Watchers interfering with his dastardly plans. Defiance Bay, baby! I'm loving it! I think all my characters are level 7 or 8. I forget which. I just dinged. Biggest problem is it's too addictive. Lots of to and fro in as well. But that's kind of fine because it's such an immersive game world. Also, they patched it.
1: Yeah, I left it downloading overnight. Hasn't affected me as much as I thought. Idair's Fortitude was 101. Now it's 78. So he's still pretty damn good. Hope the game is harder though. Were you affected by that bug? It was ludicrous.
0: Act 3. Finally, through the ruinous ancient city of Twin Elms, the Watchers go face to face with Theos in an epic battle. Then the tricksy decision of what to do with his soul.
1: I oh, haven't been able to play much since I last saw you. That humorless fantasy writing was a real drag after a while.
0: Yeah, I'm level 10 in Twin Elms. Haven't been playing much either. Genuinely considering abandoning all gaming except for the Halo series. I give up. <laughs> Three real life, real years later.
1: The ending of Pillars is so neat. Such good closure. Three of my companions committed suicide, and I'd already sacrificed one to Skane. Lol. So glad I got the chance to finish off Theos' work after destroying his soul. What a game.
0: I never finished the first one, I don't think. Be up for playing that sequel sometime.
1: Two more real
0: life, real years later. I'm Ben. And I'm Tao. And this is... Pixel Pixel Vision. Vision. Do you think we should run through what the plot of the first game was in a more serious manner? just so that people kind of know what was going on there?
1: Yeah, I'll mention it as part of the monologue.
0: Oh, well, get you.
1: I'll just say, like, the game starts where the first one ended. <laughs>
0: well, no fucking shit, Sherlock. <laughs> that's generally how sequels work.
1: No, that's not true. Like, a bunch of time might have passed. To be fair, some time has passed, but you haven't done it. Then You've just sat on your ass and knew it, haven't you?
0: Well, yeah, you, I mean, it got ruined, from what we can tell. Yeah, but that's
1: at the start of the second game. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, but you don't really see that happen, do you? You just get told about it happening. What, a cutscene? I mean, trivial cutscene. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, what, what more do you want? <laughs> trivial cutscene,
1: which shows you it out there.
0: <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Okay, so this is going to be a tricky one. For a start, we haven't mentioned what game it is that we're covering. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, we usually get onto that pretty swiftly during the introduction. We're playing Pillars of Eternity 2 Deadfire.
0: Yeah. And it's an epic RPG, very, very epic, I found. It was epic.
1: Maybe I haven't played it enough to really feel its epicness. Oh god,
0: let's not do this.
1: Uh, did you finish the game, Theo? <laughs> Absolutely not. No. Like I played for 30 33 hours. Or something like that. But I'm so slow at playing these kinds of games. Because I want to do every side quest. And I'm like tinkering away at the sides. I'm looking at my stats. And the bits of armour which have their own story. And I play for two hours. And I'm like what have I even done?
0: Yeah it's true. I found that I had to make a very conscious effort. Knowing that I was playing to a deadline in a way. Not to do every single side quest. Because I'm a bit like you when I'm in an open world game. I don't know whether it's some sort of benevolent thing inside me that I'm like, oh God, I want to help them and I want to help them and I want to do this other thing. And that guy asked me to rescue his daughter and that person wanted me to send that letter and whatever. And so you suddenly find yourself wanting to do everything and convincing yourself it'll only take you a couple of minutes because you can just stop here, there and there on the way. And of course, that's like three hours of gameplay and you haven't proceeded with the main plot at all.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, I wasn't quite as workmanlike as you, (laughs) by the sounds of things. I I did let myself get dragged into side quests and I also approached it with a bit of completionism, something about that map, which made me want to like hoover up the locations and like- Fog of war. The fog of war, the fog of war. It's like I'm playing Red Alert all over again. (laughs)
0: The beautiful fog of war. God, I love a fog of war. It's like drawing back the veil, like pulling <laughs> apart the curtains really slowly. <laughs> it's so satisfying.
1: Well, listen, before we go any further, I'll let everyone know the kind of game we're playing and what it's about. So, like I said, we're playing Pillars of Eternity 2, Dead Fire the sequel to the i'm going to say critically acclaimed pillars of eternity which is one of the biggest kickstarter games to be backed and then actually made ben and i were both backers and that game you're a watcher so you're someone that can see souls and you go on this quest to well can i give spoilers for of Eternity 1 and the Pillars of Eternity 2.
0: Yeah, I think we're safe too. It was like a 2015 game. If you haven't played it, well, we're talking about the sequels, so you're going to get spoilers for the game. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
1: Essentially, um, there's this crisis of this hollowborn crisis, uh, which is where children are being born without souls. So you go on a quest to solve this, and there's a number of different ways you can, but anyway, you solve that crisis. You end the game, you make a lot of friends along the way, you get a castle. That's pretty much where it ends. And the second game starts by a god waking up in your basement, ripping through the floor of your castle and stamping off to the Deadfire Islands, which is where the second game takes place. So uh, after waking up, after being resurrected almost by the god of death, Berath, she basically says, you're my servant now. If I resurrect you, go and deal with this god Aethys who's woken up and smashed up your castle. So off you go to the Deadfire Islands on your ship, and that's where the game begins. And it's a role-playing game. Isometric role-playing game and the vein of Baldur's Game. Spiritual successor.
0: Yeah, and if I can jump in there, because I think it's quite noteworthy that, although this game is obviously now, I think, 2018, Baldur's Gate 3 is due out, and that also starts with a big stormy shipwreck, just like this one. So it's almost like... Does it? Yeah, it's like this one copied... So Pillars of Eternity series copied the Boulders Gate series, and then the Baldur's Gate series is now being like, yeah, that was pretty good, actually. We'll copy that one back. Swings and roundabouts, as they say. I feel
1: like nautical themes are pretty in vogue at the moment.
0: Yeah, they are, actually.
1: Probably since Assassin's Creed Black Flag. Assassin's Creed did it, which is known for being the most generic game like they're all just the same game all the assassin's creed games mm-hmm. but then black Flag came out and everyone absolutely loved it yeah and ever since then i think that a lot more people have gone for that nautical theme in their rpgs
0: yeah i mean sea of thieves was basically just that
1: <laughs> exactly yeah exactly so what like what are your thoughts on the game because you you did it's one of those ones you won't be surprised to hear that ben played it literally double the amount that i managed to play it, i think so um yeah there is going to be a bit of an imbalance
0: you know, i was determined to reassert myself as someone who does finish games after hades i know mate. you don't have that reputation i have that reputation yeah, and damn straight and may it forever stay that way <laughs>
1: I just bucked the trend for Hades, but I thought you might feel a a tad competitive for this one. (laughs)
0: Oh, yeah. Well, so the other thing I quickly wanted to say, actually, is since you just kind of set it up with reference to the first game, and how Theos in that game is kind of a puppet of Wodica, the goddess and who he's trying to strengthen by gathering souls, hence the Hollowborn. In this, you are kind of the puppet of Barath the whole way through. So similar plot line, but whereas he was the antagonist, the villain of the first game, you're the protagonist and very much the hero. Well, the way I played it. <laughs> the hero of this game. Did you play it as a goodie or a baddie, Teo? I
1: always try and play role-playing games as a baddie if I can. One slight gripe I had with the first Elizabeth and I had with this as well, is that the evil character essentially means the sarcastic character Mm. or the sadistic character like there's no space to be evil that isn't sarcastic or sadistic maybe that's just true of real life i'm not sure but i remember in the older ones there being slightly more nuanced evil things to do
0: how would you like that to manifest itself then
1: oh i don't know i don't have any clear ideas of like the things that i want to do which which are evil which it wasn't giving me the chance to do I'm not sure, I'm not sure. But going on to your point, because I think it's a good little like mirror, like Theos as uh, Wodika's servant and you as Barath's servant. The first thing I tried to do, of course, was when Barath resurrects you, after you get smashed up in the beginning, you can say to her, like, no, I refuse. But then just the game ends because she kills it and she wake <laughs> up. So, so at that point, I'm like, oh, okay, I've, I've got to do what she says. I'm like, I'm actually in her thrall.
0: So you had a moment like that early on. That's good because I had a similar moment to that, but much later in the game where I'd been teleported to this other realm and this guy is like, oh, if you come back here, I'll smite you down. And you get the opportunity to basically be like, well, smite me down now then, why wait? And then he just does and the game ends.
1: Yeah, no, I did exactly the same thing at that part in the game as well.
0: You didn't learn your lesson at all. <laughs>
1: no, I have to try though, like, cause it is cool because one of the biggest themes of the game is like mortals versus the gods. And like, are the gods really that powerful? Like can actually like mortals rule the world and not the gods so i always really try and like push that side of the game and see how far i can take it role-playing wise but there is always that point where the gods is like oh actually they are more powerful than me and they can just smite me down so yeah it's, it's kind of neat i like those moments
0: you must have to be pretty dedicated to playing evil as well because i've always wondered how you don't just end up every conversation with a battle Like, it seems like the dialogue options for being evil are so hostile, I just feel like they descend into conflict immediately. Whereas the way I play a game, no surprise, probably, that I always play more or less as myself, which I like to think is sort of chaotic good. (laughs) Maybe impatient neutral. Nice. And I always play to avoid conflict. I just find that the kind of tedious element of RPGs, because I'm really there for the story and the narrative. In fact, that kind of ties in with the difficulty level, because this game gives you a ton of difficulty levels. The one you start on is easy, but there is actually an easier one. But I mean, this is this is fine. You, you have some battles. Some of them are challenging. Generally, they're not.
1: Yeah. I mean, we'll get onto the, um, the combat systems a bit later, I suppose. You asked me earlier, like, what I want, how I want to be even in a game. To be honest, it usually manifests itself as just being mischievous. Like, if I can backstab someone, I will. Just because I want to see what happens. I want to see, like, if there's any repercussions from my actions and, like, how those play out. Yeah. And I don't usually take the violent options. Because you're right, like, often it's just, like, start a fight. Attack, basically. <laughs> Attack with your sword. <laughs> and that's the end of it. And it's like, well, that's not fun. Yeah. I agree. Sometimes I do. Like, if I think someone is particularly annoying, I'm like,
0: you're dead. You got a smart mouth on you. Careful it'll get you killed faster than any blade quick question then we did give people spoilers to the first game already but would you say this game is welcoming to players who haven't played the first game could you just pick up this one and go straight in and feel like you were at home or not really
1: i don't think so the lore in the first game because they were creating a new universe and they wanted it to be fully fleshed out the lore was pretty full-on there's a lot of gods to learn, a lot of places to learn.
0: Yeah, such an understatement.
1: Proper nouns, a lot of proper nouns. And this is even the same, but because you're in a different location, the people of the Deadfire Archipelago have a different lexicon for all of the words which you've already learned. So, well, for instance, they have different names for the gods and things like that.
0: Yeah, it's so dense. The information overload when you first start is just yeah, yeah. so daunting. Absolutely. Colloquialisms, new languages, races... As you say, not even just new gods, but different dialects have different names for the same gods.
1: (laughs) That's what I mean, yeah, that's what I mean. And just
0: so many things within the game that kind of sometimes work as mechanics and sometimes are just there as story. But stuff like reputations, factions, party members aren't always party members. Sometimes they're your sidekick. Sometimes they're just your crew member. Like there are so many elements Mm. that come into this melting pot and it's not something you can just kind of pick up and run with in an effortless manner, I wouldn't say. It takes a little bit of effort almost to sort of understand the way they're coming about this.
1: Yeah, I thought as I was playing this, in what universe could I play this game more than once? (laughs) To become familiar with it and almost to appreciate it, I think you would have to play it more than once. (laughs) You're
0: right, though, because there's an irony there that no one realistically... I mean, not no one, because there are people who do play these through, but the everyday person Mm. has probably not got another 100... Well, 60 to 100 hours to just throw at Mm. it.
1: To be fair, I say that, and I did go back. I played the first one for 40 hours, didn't complete it, went back to it and played it for 60 hours and did complete it, including both the expansions. I obviously enjoyed it, otherwise I wouldn't have done it, and I was quite proud of myself for like managing that so long after it came out so maybe it is possible
0: well they do help you out as well because like at least in this you can hover over unfamiliar words and it gives you like a link to that word in the glossary it's not even a link actually it literally just pops up with a little summary Mm. of the background so you can immediately at a glance get an impression of what it is they're talking about which jesus is helpful even Mm. near the end of the game you're still doing that
1: but there's already so many words to read and One thing that's impressive is that every voice in the game is um, voiced by a voice actor. Yeah. Do you not think that was incredible?
0: Really incredible, yeah.
1: There are a lot of words spoken in the game, but I felt really bad because I wanted to hear the voice acting, but at the same time, I didn't want to listen to the Pillars of Eternity 2 Deadfire podcast. (laughs) You know what I mean? I wanted to play the game.
0: Especially if you consider that they'll have had them slightly differently voiced depending on your gender as the player <laughs> maybe they just managed to write their way around that actually come to think about it
1: i think they write their way around it a little bit certainly when it comes to your race they say like watcher rather than orlan or human or whatever race you might be they avoid specific character specific things
0: oh uh, yeah that's true that's a good point but it's still super impressive it feels way more D D than some rpgs doesn't it like especially while you're exploring the world map The story is literally written in a book and there are a lot of scenes where the book opens in front of you. You read sort of a paragraph, your options are given. Mm. The dice roll that is going to be demanded for that check to pass is going to be stated up front. And all that side of things is kind of pleasantly traditional, I thought. And it's nice how you're playing a story that is literally unfolding in the pages of a book as well.
1: I love that. It's such a cool mechanic because... The art is beautiful.
0: Incredible.
1: Really, really gorgeous. But it's still really evocative to have those pages come up and, like, you're reading a storybook and seeing what happens. So you might approach a swamp and you say, like, do you go left, do you go right? Really classic stuff, but it's just such a nice break from the more gamey traveling across a world map like you normally do in a game.
0: Yeah, and it breaks up. We often complain about, well, as I did in the intro, about toing and froing and fast travel here, fast travel there. And these elements break up that sort of trudgery or drudgery.
1: Trudging drudgery. <laughs> and
0: it's much less of a grind
1: as well because, I mean, it doesn't stop that grind completely. You are still putting the best items that you get onto your characters and putting their stats up and things like that. But it does feel a lot more like you're playing a storybook than it does a game which has a story. <laughs> it's a Very, very fine distinction there, but yeah.
0: No, I think that that's true for sure. The way that they lay out the world for you to explore as well, there are mechanisms within the story that help you, that encourage you to get around the whole world. But as you say, you don't really need them because the impetus is there as soon as you see the fog of war to rush between all the islands and uncover it and that kind of thing but the way that you explore those islands from a even more zoomed out than your regular isometric proper zoomed out like civilization style in fact the whole map layout of the archipelago reminded me of civilization I don't know whether you thought so too, Mm. Um, but when you land on an island, for instance, a little icon represents your group, and then you can click around the island and you move around it, and it's sort of almost tile-based, is it, at that stage?
1: Yeah, so you have that sense of discovery, however, uh, like, of of each island landing on an island, seeing what's there, packed full of side quests, like so many side quests, a a bewildering number of side quests, (laughs) you have your quest journal, and by about the third or fourth hour of the game, you've got kind of like 10 15 quests on there and you don't know which one's which or like you click on one and you're like oh, i've really got to just
0: focus on this one now where's this and they're all separated by plot lines as well like divided into groups based on their plot lines whether they're a task whether they're a main story element yeah there's another word that they use as well
1: tasks quests bounties oh
0: yeah bounties as well <laughs>
1: <laughs> serious content but yeah like a bewildering amount of stuff to do And the plus of that, it means that wherever you set off to or wherever you decide to land, there'll be something going on there. However, there were occasions when I found islands to be a little bit barren and slightly soulless. So there's, I mean, we haven't made it explicit, but you have a ship and there's a whole ship management system. And you've got, as well as your team of adventurers that you'd have in your classic RPG, you also have your crew, which you have to manage and they all have their stats and get better or worse.
0: There's also a cartographer, Sansa. I say cartography is a wannabe cartographer and he sets you out with tasks to explore different islands and to name them. Yeah. That's what I meant when I said there's mechanisms to encourage you to explore, but they're not necessary because I actually only started his questline and then didn't bother with the rest of it because it was satisfying enough... And you get to name the islands as well which is another really little personal mechanic i don't think it has any impact on the gameplay whatsoever it's just nice to see your name that you've given the island appear in that sort of archaic nautical font across the map
1: exactly yeah exactly here be
0: dragons
1: (laughs) yeah like you've charted and discovered a new place but like i was saying sometimes they felt a little bit empty so in talking about the ship 's crew, the bit that I wanted to mention is that you have to feed them every day to feed them, you have to pay them to pay them a trivial amount, so you have stocks of like water or ale and like hard tack or't know mutton rice rice, yeah, a lot of rice so on these islands there 's also an element of resource gathering, so you go over to a berry bush and get like fifty berries and that kind of stuff. It gave the items some purpose, which I felt they didn 't have in pillars one, I felt like there were so many items most of which I could just ignore forever and I'd never look at. Some of that's still present here. Yeah. For instance, the amount of armor and weapons that you collect off enemies, which you then just voiced onto any ven- literally any vendor. It's just like, yep, uh, click, 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 click. Thanks for the thousand gold vendor who sells herbs, but now has an inventory full of armor. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But at least so in this game, I felt like there was more effort to utilize the items as a part of the story.
0: Yeah, but it is true, and I wonder why game developers insist on putting things in the game that are only ever going to be superfluous. Like, you mentioned there that you have to pay a wage to all of your crew of your ship, and obviously as you expand your ship, you require more crew, and you can recruit them at the various taverns that you stop at. But I never once had to consider the actual salary that they would be earning. I never had to look at my pot of gold and think Ooh, can I afford to hire Griselda the Grim or whatever instead I just said oh yeah I need another crew member I'll hire them and the fact that i was feeding them and stuff it was just kind of a bit of a nuisance that every now and again it would say i'd lost 10 morale because i'd ran out of food or something i'd never ran out of food but i'd gone to like a boring food like hard tack or something yeah and it was just a nuisance to go back to the shipping screen swap it out with some good food that i already had a shit ton of in my inventory <laughs> from just looting everything that i encountered It didn't serve any purpose, didn't give me any thrill, didn't make me feel more in control. Like, what is the point of that? Is that just world deepening or what are they after there?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure because you're right. It's an administrative activity, which isn't super fun. But I think some people would find it fun. I got the impression that they were trying to cater for every single audience. They wanted to be as generous as they possibly could with the content so that you couldn't then say to them, oh, well, I wish it had more of this, more of this. Like, I don't think you could say of this game, I wish it had more of something. <laughs> like, you want you want it to have a lot less in certain areas yeah. and, like, keep the other bits the same.
0: Yeah, definitely. In some ways, that's quite a nice segue into the loot system because, for me, the whole loot system in this just required too much attention for it to really work properly. I just couldn't really be bothered with it. If I can't tell at a glance... Whether a weapon is a massive improvement or even any kind of improvement to what I've currently got or whether some gloves are going to be a boon to me then I just leave with what I'm wearing because to be honest it's a hassle to have to read through every stat and figure out whether the pluses outweigh the minuses and there's so much text on every item of loot. And there's loads of named loot as well. So sometimes you'll pick something up and you'll think, oh, it's got a name. It must be good. And then you compare it with what you got and you're like, is it? I'm not really sure if it is, if it's better, if it's worse. Does it tie in with my proficiency that I already had to level up? All these kind of things that are going on. And sometimes I just thought, like, we often mock the tiered looting system. But one thing that can be said about it is that the reason it works is because it's tried and tested. And people know when they pick up an orange that it's better than a blue. It's like, Hmm. in this game, I was baffled 99% of the time about whether whatever it was that I just picked up was going to be worth equipping. Yeah,
1: but I do think it's appealing to the role players more than the min-maxers. The people that play in this game, you want them to be choosing their weapons based on the story that came along with that weapon. Whether that hits or not, I'm not really sure. I never felt like particularly attached to any of the loot that I found or thought like this is the sword that's been with me the whole game or club as it was in my druid's case.
0: No, I suppose the only way that maybe that worked is like my druid, for instance, when I encountered a staff that had some sort of woodlandy name. (laughs) and looked like, I don't know, maybe it conjured spiders or something, then I'd be like, oh, that seems like the kind of staff a druid should use. I'll equip that rather than, uh, do those spiders do much damage? Are they better than the fireball that my wand is currently firing?
1: Incendium. Yeah, exactly. And at that point, you're role-playing, aren't you? And it's quite nice. But like you say, there's so much of that that you can't be assessing... Like You can't roleplay the value of every item you find because there's too many items. You'd be exhausted. You thought, so wait, you played
0: as a druid as well, did you? No, no, I actually didn't play as a oh, druid. Okay. I actually played as a ranger, which was a huge mistake. <laughs> I've made a huge mistake. I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> Why? <laughs> it's such a boring class. My God. Like, that is my mistake as well because... It does actually let you preview during the character creation scene. It lets you preview the talent trees of every class. Mm. And, it, you know, as with all of these kinds of RPGs, they're very in-depth. And you can spend hours just sort of reading about what each of the abilities are. And I couldn't really be bothered with that. And I thought, I don't often play as a ranger. Maybe I'll just play as a ranger to mix it up. Put aside the ranger. Become who you are born to be. And I like the idea of having a little pet running around with me but really all the ranger had as options were kind of like improving your pet. (laughs) Basically every class has an additional element to it. So for instance, if you're a cypher, you develop focus as you're in the battle. With a ranger, you have something called bond, which is your relationship with your pet. But I never fully understood it. I never fully grasped it. I always seem to run out of bond. (laughs) um and whereas my cypher never ran out of focus and it was really clear how to get more use your weapons like that's how it worked yeah yeah. whereas with the ranger i don't know i just it just didn't really make sense in hindsight i basically enjoyed playing every other character in my party more than the one i created myself
1: <laughs> right the first time that i tried to start pillars one i was a cypher and i had that same experience the second time i played it i played as a druid with the same avatar that i used for this game as well which is quite nice so i created the same character that i played in the last game
0: a oh, nice continuity yeah
1: druid uh pretty fun like as you'd expect lots of spells i went for a sort of lightning build druid so i tried to theme myself on like lightning spells and lightning buffs
0: after playing hades you were like yeah i was successful with lightning in that game i'll give it another whirl." damn
1: i didn't think about that but
0: <laughs> well,
1: i did it in pillars one first you do get some six spells like there's one thunderstorm where you uh, do it and then like every few seconds like the enemies around you get hit with lightning and get stunned it's really powerful and fun
0: to use what sort of main weapon did you go with
1: i went for club and small shield Mainly because they're quite humble weapons.
0: <laughs> Sounds so puny, yeah.
1: <laughs> so puny. And because these games aren't really, really hard, so it's nice to choose a puny one, see how it goes.
0: Yeah, but with me, see, because I thought, oh, well, I'm a ranger, I obviously need to use a bow. Of course. And it gives you a selection of bows, longbow, warbow, bow, hunting bow <laughs> crossbow, <laughs> but... I couldn't find any decent bows in all my travels, pretty much the whole way through the game. I had guns, swords, shields, and my axe. Every other weapon, flails, maces, the rest of my team were kitted out with incredible legendary weapons. And my main character was just using some sort of random bow. I just couldn't find any decent ones.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a lottery because there must be 12, 15 different types of weapons. And yeah, it's just luck whether you find a good weapon which fits with your character or not.
0: Not just weapons either. Like, my inventory is flooded with amulets, but decent capes and headpieces. None.
1: Yeah, there's one hilarious bit where, just after completing quite a big quest towards the beginning for someone that's quite important. I've forgotten his name now. He's one of the pirate captains. Furante. Is it Furante? Furante, that's the one. I'll give a bit of the backstory. So just after you wake up, your ship's boarded by this pirate and you see them off and then there's this storm. But then Ferrante comes is like, do you not want to get revenge on that guy that boarded you? Men with Drake took damage during the storm. Eventually, he will need to dock for repairs. And when he does, Seraphim can find him for you. So that starts off a whole plot arc anyway. And after you've completed it, and it takes, it's a hefty quest. Take time. And at the end, he just gives you, he's like, I'll give you one of my most treasured items and just gives you a cloak of protection. And you're like, really (laughs) it's such a puny such a puny magical item yeah yeah that was quite funny
0: (laughs) yeah there's no sort of shape to the loot you get is there like i was still getting the loot at the end of the game that i got at the beginning of the game pretty much there was no kind of strong arc of improvement Mm. it was kind of luck of the draw throughout
1: behold the sword of a thousand truths
0: we were just talking about quests before and you mentioned one of them was called bounties. What did you think of bounties? Because a little bit like you were saying, you felt some of the mechanisms felt a little bit shallow with berries and stuff. I felt a little bit like that with bounties, just superfluous. There's already loads of quests. You don't need a sort of, here's a named character, find them, kill them, come back quest. It's just unnecessary. There's loads of really deep and intricate storylines woven into this game. What's with the find and kill ones? I think they called me 47. That's not a name. So make it one. All right. Agent 47.
1: Well, you've got this big map, this big archipelago, and you can sail all around it. And there are loads of other ships that are sailing around as well. And some of them will attack you. You can always outrun them if you want to. And I think it felt like it was to make use of that nautical combat, which they have in the game.
0: And just to give you an excuse to level up your boat as well, right? Because there are multiple sizes of boat. Yeah. And most of the time you're fine just trotting around in your little dow or whatever, however you pronounce it. Is it dow? D-H-O-W?
1: I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) What's a dow? That's what your boat's called, isn't it? Oh, the Defiant, I thought mine was called.
0: Not your actual boat. like the. Yeah, I'm right. Google's going to tell me how it's pronounced now. Dow. Dow. Yeah, I was right. A Latin rigged ship with one or two masts used chiefly in the Arabian region. Very good.
1: I, had, I hadn't clocked the uh, type of
0: boat. And Aura, apparently, Google. Very
1: nice. A the, the Dow it is. A Dow it is.
0: Yeah, so you can level that up to a junk or a brig or whatever. But obviously that requires more cannons, requires more crew, becomes more expensive... And unless you're fighting people in the sea battles, which, oh my god, we haven't mentioned the sea battles.
1: still a mystery to this day.
0: (laughs) Unless you're doing that, then there's just no point in levelling your boat up, I didn't think, really. Especially because the main storyline, I don't know if you got there, but eventually upgrades your boat anyway.
1: I didn't get to that point, though.
0: Oh, right. Just in order that you can sail through a particularly vicious storm, you need a certain boat.
1: Ah, I see. But yeah, all of the bits I did, I never had to do. All of the main, what I assumed was the main quest line, and then also the other like big side quests, no one needed me to engage in naval combat. So for a lot of it, I just ignored that part of the game. I mean, I experimented with it and had fun with it, but I felt like it was a slight like sideshow for sure.
0: Oh, epic sideshow. I mean, I tried to enjoy that because it seemed like they put a lot of work into it. Mm. And actually, I did kind of enjoy the way that they'd done it. But it was totally impractical because at any moment during a naval battle you can just decide to board the other ship at which point Mm. the ships just pull up next to each other and you have a very regular battle set against the decks of these ships and whoever wins sinks the other ship but the naval battle is all sort of in the pages of a book you do this you do that and each one takes a certain number of turns and so you can have sort of 45 minutes naval battle and it be an unclear outcome or you can just board their ship and kill them in five minutes.
1: <laughs> yeah, less than five minutes. That's the big thing, is in a game which is already demanding on your time, to engage in naval combat and win in naval combat it takes a long time. You're clicking, you're clicking, fire the cannons, fire the cannons. Watching your and the enemy's hull like, go down, or their sails get more damage. It's like a mini-game in the main game. It is, yeah. Did you figure out any strategies? Because you can do all the sort of naval manoeuvres, like shift to port side... Swing round, whatever the, the terms are. <laughs> There's one which is swing round. There's jibe. is it? jibe? Yeah. yeah. But I never understood what that did. I'd, like, jibe, and then I just couldn't do anything else.
0: Yeah, it's because after you've fired your cannons, it would take three or four turns before they were ready to fire again. So if you fired, say, port side, then you would need to jibe and be ready to fire starboard side, yeah, in order to fire your next slot of cannons. But then once you'd fired them both, you'd have to wait a few turns or maybe just, like, raise your sails or report to the crew and also like your cannon accuracy starts really low so when you just want to take a shot it's usually about 40 percent or something like that like basically you're almost definitely going to miss and so instead you can make a move like halting or lowering the sails so that your ship's really steady so that when you fire you've got a better chance or you can report to your crew so that they kind of i guess Have a little chat. It's really unclear what report is, but whatever it does, it boosts your percentage chance of hitting when you fire your cannons. But yeah, the whole thing, very drawn out, very tedious, not very clear why you would want to do that more than once or twice, really. To build it in as sort of a key staple of the game seems quite weird.
1: Yeah, I didn't understand it. Because, like you say, you can just decide to board and then you have a regular battle between the two ships. One thing I did like about those regular battles is that your whole crew get involved. So usually you don't get to see your crew, and like you say, you have um, other side characters that don't have big arcs, but are still named and they've got their own voices. Uh, in fact, a lot of the crew have their own voices as well. See, hey, you got a ship? Couldn't get here without one, right? You by chance have any
0: spots open for an old dwarf like me? I might not look it, but I'm a deft hand with the rigging. Can even cook some. Do you remember Dario at the beginning in the gullet?
1: Yes, I do.
0: He's the principi. So the principi are like the pirate faction, basically, who want to just rule for plunder. And he's the first member of the principi you really meet, other than the guy who boards you at the very beginning. He's this sort of shadowy guy who's living in the Narrows, which is a section of the world which is almost entirely accessible, only accessible, by storybook (laughs) so you like click on the entrance to a cave and then you get presented with a list of options and you have to have first spoken with various different people in the world who will let you know the exact sequence of steps to take in that storybook Mm -hmm. to access that area i love that i thought that was so immersive and such a clever way of ensuring that you're engaging with the world
1: Mm, and that the, the city seems bigger than it is, because in reality, the biggest city, I suppose, it's still pretty big, but it's only eight maps big, like sort of eight screens big i suppose yeah because obviously it's an isometric rpg and once you like get to the end of the screen that's it and you've got to go to the next screen so it's only eight screens big but little things like that make it seem so much bigger
0: (laughs) yeah they write that into the dialogue sometimes as well into the narration rather where it'll say in the description something like he disappears into the crowd and you're looking around and there's like one other person on the screen and you're thinking like what crowd where is this crowd yeah imagination is your superpower
1: yeah for sure and when you travel between the different parts of the city of course you might get interrupted by some people on the way and then you'll go into storybook as well like a little vignette might happen between places that you're traveling so that's cool as well sometimes it happened a little bit too much there was one that's one time where i was just trying to get back to my ship And I don't know if even this is a bug or something, but I kept stopping halfway. And, like, it was, like, another story. And I was like, okay, yeah, do the story. But then it would take me back to where I was before. Yeah. Like, where I'd started. So I was like, okay, okay, I'll travel there again. And then I get another story. Literally, I got five stories in a row. And I was like, just let me get back to my ship.
0: Yeah, I think it's when you've spent a long time at sea and then come back. And they're probably envisaging that those things would happen more frequently over a period of time Mm. or more regularly over a period of time with you kind of stopping back at the same port again and again but instead you go away you do a shit ton of quests come back and suddenly it's like basically on catch up because you've hardly been in the city at all because i had a similar thing with um when you're at sea you have the option of sort of zooming into the deck of your ship and going below deck and chatting with your crew and all that kind of stuff and i basically never did that just because I didn't really see the point. But sometimes your party get a little bit angsty and they really want to talk with you. Mm -hmm. And there was one point, I guess it was just before a key plot development or something. So I needed to have chatted with all of them about their own individual plot lines, where every single character hijacked my screen. Like they just kept having another conversation. And I was thinking to myself, because I'd been just about to quit, I was like, oh, just enter this room or something. And then first Ada wants to speak to me about something, then Seraphim wants to speak to me about something, then Maya. It was like every single one. I was there for about 45 minutes.
1: Yeah, the conversations are long. And like you say, all of the, the characters in your party have relationships with each other, and it's really well fleshed out. They all have different likes and dislikes, political allegiances ways of being where they may or may not interact well with another character in your team but again it's another thing which is so intricate that it kind of went over my head a little bit I appreciated it for its intricacies but then it was slightly too complex for me to really account for it in any meaningful way yeah like it's cool when you're, you're having a conversation with one of your teammates and then another one of your team will like snigger because they think it's funny or like frown because they think it's bad there was so much of that, but I never really got to see it play out in any meaningful way. Like Adair and Jotty. Jotty? Is that what
0: you're saying? Yeah, yeah. I call her Shotty, but yeah.
1: Shotty. Um,
0: Maybe it's a silent S, or it's like Hotty. <laughs>
1: Perhaps, yeah. Maybe we'll get onto that in a bit. <laughs> <laughs> but um, again, intricate, but so intricate that yeah, it just kind of went over my head a little bit.
0: Definitely. Some of these fights we've been in, you've bailed me out more than once. You'd do the same for any of us. Don't tell, but I try harder for the ones I like better. Who did you end up choosing as your kind of regular party members? So there are quite a few. Seraphon is the pirate one who was a... He's got a really interesting backstory, I thought. He was probably my favourite character because he was enslaved, enslaved as a child, so he really hates slavers. So he's kind of a pirate just so that he can get back at slavers and mm. sort of plunder their ships and stuff. He's also just your kind of classic swashbuckling rogue with loads of cheesy wow jokes and uh, crass ribulous, ribald that's the word I was after jokes mm. about saucy subjects when you're in the tavern and all that kind of stuff he's quite good fun to have on your crew yeah
1: <laughs> a little bit too crass I found <laughs> for, for my taste it was like alright that's actually a bit inappropriate <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're playing as evil mate I love it you're like dignified evil
1: yeah I don't know I just thought oh really <laughs> you're gonna flirt in, at this moment <laughs> kind of thing didn't fancy
0: her in the least, but a man has needs. And I figured at the time that she were as wet as any other lass. I figured I'd give her a whisper about what we might get down to in the old. And then you've got Ada, who is, I, th- I think he's in the first game as well, isn't he? Oh, yeah, for sure. He's like the main man. Is he a paladin or a fighter? I think he's just fighter, actually. He's a warrior, yeah.
1: Fighter, fighter. You're right, you're
0: right. Yeah, but he's just a bit of a square, isn't he, really? He's sweet, though. Yeah, that's what I mean. bit of a square. <laughs>
1: I like it there. I didn't play with him, but he is sweet. He has a sort of, people from the Deerwood have a reputation for being country bumpkins, so he kind of personifies that, and you get other characters in the game taking the piss out of him for basically being like a stupid hick. But he's actually quite a considered thoughtful man underneath, so I, I don't know, I quite like his character. Does gilded Vale still reek of spoiled grain and burnt stew? Wouldn't well, know. Decided to go places where I could be of more use. I didn't realise farmers were in such short supply in the Deerwood. Not farming. Thought I'd take a shot at running things. And those things are still running? That really all you think I can do? I meant no offence. You know how to handle a tankard as well.
0: Yeah, and he's got an interesting backstory as well with um, sort of former lover and the possibility of a son and all that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. But he's no Minsk and Boo, is he? No. Do you know what I mean? mean? It hasn't got as much character as that a den of stinking evil cover your nose boo we will leave no crevice untouched cities always teem with evil and decay let's give it a good shake and see what falls out go for the eyes boo go for the eyes run
1: uh, then you've got, yeah, Jotty, um Well, you, you say who you played with, actually, but sorry.
0: No, I mean, that's... Pr- I did. I played with uh, Seraphon, Ada, Zotti, and... Well, I kind of swapped out the extra one between Aloth... Is he meant to be evil? I guess he's sort of semi-evil sorcerer. Is that right?
1: He's definitely slightly authoritarian, for sure.
0: Yeah, and then, depending on the quest, either Maya. Who's another ranger? So I didn't really want to use her because I was one. Yeah. Um. Or Pagina? Is it Pagina? Paladin.
1: Palagina. Pagina. Either Pagina or Palagina. Something like that.
0: Yeah. But I actually ended up going the most with as my fifth wheel, as it were, with this guy Tekahu who's a god-like, yeah. um, and I went with him, just because he's such a pompous prick, but he's got character, <laughs> yes. you know, and I quite enjoyed flirting with him a lot. I actually accidentally ended up in a relationship with him, romancing him.
1: Easily done in this game, because out of nowhere you get a dialogue option, and then, like, suddenly you're making out with one of your teammates, and all the others are just standing around there, and you're thinking, this must be a little bit awkward for them. Are they going to say anything? Because they comment on everything else they say.
0: Yeah, it is some of the dialogue. <laughs> I mean, I had flashbacks to how abrupt Greedful was where someone says something and then you're like lean in for a kiss it's like what where did that come from yeah (laughs) it was almost worse than Greedful although the
1: characters were obviously a bit more three dimensional but yeah Jotty I ended up romancing and she's seriously into you but well I guess I was only halfway through the game she's quite southern isn't she so she says things like I can't believe the things you do to me watcher like that kind of thing Yeah, her lines are pretty like like, whoo Maybe I shouldn't have gone there. She reminded me of Suki from True Blood a little bit. I did watch the first season of True Blood, actually. So, yeah, you're right. Exactly the same accent as that.
0: I am so, so sorry. I
1: put you in the middle of all this. I know you're probably still furious with me, but... Please. Please know
0: how grateful I am. Kind of creepy drool. That when I first met her, because she's got this... Um, her vibe, she, I think she's a priestess... And she's constantly trying to gather souls to give to Aethas, who is the massive god that you're chasing, the kind of MacGuffin, the whole way through the game. And she's just obsessed. She calls him... What does she call him? Gorn. <laughs> yeah. Gorn. Gorn, yeah. Um, And she's, like, gathering souls into her little lantern the whole time. She's a little bit creepy, Ooh. but she's kind of sexy as well.
1: Yeah, but that's what's cool, is that she's... um. She wants to be good, but is, like, drawn to the dark side. And that's one way that you can actually be a little bit evil in this game, is that you can get her to, like, suck up all the souls and, like, really embrace her dark side if you choose to lead her down that path, which is quite fun.
0: I love that you clearly did choose to do that. You basically groomed Shotty, is what you're saying.
1: (laughs) Well, I feel bad now that you put it like that, but I guess I was (laughs) role-playing as an evil character, so I'll take it as a compliment.
0: What's the deal with romances in RPGs always coming to a head, no pun intended, just before the final showdown? It happens in every big game, like Mass Effect did it, pretty much every Bioware game has ever done it. Pretty much any RPG in fact that you ever play. The person you're trying to flirt with plays hard to get, plays hard to get, plays hard to get, and then just before the final epic showdown they're like, okay, let's have a frivolous night or whatever. You just know at that point, like, oh, yeah, that I'm just about to go into the final battle. It's kind of, what? Yeah, I
1: don't know. I don't know. Maybe just because everything is more intense before the final battle. It's the last time you're going to do anything. So I'm trying not to use the word climax, but I just (laughs) (laughs) think Like, it's a climactic moment, isn't it? You're not going to be able to do anything again because the game's about to end, so... This is like the pinnacle of your relationship with that character. Then the game ends and you never see them again because they're not real.
0: <laughs> yeah, but toheku, the fishman godlike we were talking about earlier, he's kind of so blunt the whole way through mm. that almost from the very first moment when I sort of suggested that there could be a thing between us, he was just straight in there. And I thought, oh, wicked, they're going to buck the trend. Like, we're going to be straight in. Me and him, chums, all these sea voyages, we're going to be having a wondrous time. <laughs> But actually, he just panders to his own ego every time you talk. He never gives you the opportunity to do anything. And when you get to that showdown at the end, it turns out he doesn't even want some sort of wild, raucous thing. He just wants to feel like he's not in control. Because as a god, like, he feels like he owns everything. And he's like the centre of attention. And he really wants to be belittled. Mm. Like in a sort of standard S&M Typical bloody male godlike, do you know what I mean? So much power, he just wants to be whipped into submission a little bit.
1: Wow, that to me that sounds quite interesting, but maybe that's just because I have <laughs> maybe that's just cause I'm quite tame. <laughs> Let's not reveal too much about ourselves
0: on this podcast, Ben. I mean, I'm not doing any revealing here, Taylor, that was all you. Stunned into silence. Oh, this is awkward. I'm gonna walk uh, I'm going to walk this situation off and I will see you later.
1: Anyway. Anyway, yeah, that's in, it's an interesting point. You're right, it is a trope of these games that uh, the biggest part of the romance plot comes just before the final battle. Mm. Maybe it's not even a trope of role playing games, maybe it's just a trope of stories in general.
0: That's usually at the point when they obviously force you to make some big decisions as well. Like, the whole way through, you can kind of be playing one faction off against another, but then betraying them, sort of double bluffing, triple bluffing, Mm. and reaches a certain point in the game where they're like, nah, you need to pick a side now. Yeah. And it's always re-epic. Really yeah, yeah. And I always cause I've been up in my persuasion and my dialogue and trying all these Machiavellian conspiracies behind the scenes to try and get everyone to crumble to my will. Mm. I always hope that I'm gonna be able to avoid that huge no, you have to make a decision and I never can. Mm. It's like bloody Stanley's parable. No matter how much I think I'm in control, the game just keeps reminding me that I'm not. Hello, anyone who happens to be nearby, the person at this computer is dead. Please remove their corpse from the area And instruct another human to take their place at the computer,
1: making sure they understand basic first person video game mechanics and filling them in on the history of narrative tropes in video gaming, so that the irony and insightful commentary of this game is not lost on them. All right, when you've done that, just step out into the hallway. I guess the decision in this game would be between the three slash four powers in the game. So there's the pirates. Then there's the Balian Trading Republic, the Deadfire Trading Company, who are from the Raochen Empire, and then the natives of the island, the indigenous population.
0: And they call us savages.
1: And they call us savages, yeah, found, found that happening again. That whole biscuit, it's like, oh, not this again. The comparison we're making there is with Greedful where the take on colonialism in the game was paper thin. It's a lot better in this, I'd say.
0: Yeah, so much better. And actually, they cover so many issues. Mm. It's not just slavery. A great many issues in much more detail than Greedfall managed to cover one issue. Yeah, for sure. And the writing, the calibre of writing throughout is very high as well. Yeah, agreed. But I thought that was really interesting on the island of Crixbur, where you can kill the slavers or bid on the slaves. I remember bidding on a slave, winning it, and then Seraphim being really annoyed with me for doing that. I bet, yeah. Didn't leave your party, though. No, he didn't leave my party. Not that annoyed. <laughs> but that's because I did then slaughter all of the savers, so maybe he was all right with it.
1: Fair, fair. Yeah, I I did that. I didn't have Aeloth in my party for the whole thing, but um, when he was in my party, I did... And used to enjoy
0: doing everything I possibly could to annoy Aloth because he's pretty easy to annoy. I didn't keep him in my party because he was too much of a loose cannon. I, I never knew what his agenda was. He set my skin crawling a bit. He's a weird guy, Aloth,
1: for sure. He has a sort of nervous energy to him, doesn't
0: he? Reminds me that, you know, like, there was always a kid in your, like, <laughs> friendship group at school who makes you a bit uncomfortable. Not in your friendship group, in, like, your acquaintance group, who you're kind of like, yeah. I like him. I like him, but it's just something about him. That's what Aloth's like in this game. Do you know what I mean? Mm.
1: And is it because you're reinforcing them feeling bad about themselves by never getting close to them because you think they're weird? It's a vicious cycle. Or is it because they're actually a sociopath?
0: Could be both. A little bit. Could be both. Sociopathy reinforced by isolation.
1: Yeah. Could be both. Could be both.
0: That's how I felt about Aloth. It's the stuff of mind hunters. She's now been cancelled by Netflix. I want to say. Huh. "Crazy bastards!" If there's one thing I know, it's this: a mother should not scorn her own son. If a woman humiliates her little boy, he will become hostile and violent and debased. Period. So what did you think of uh, Aethas, the great Aethas that you're chasing the whole way through? And what did you think of him as a kind of antagonist, but kind of anti-hero as well? What did you make of him?
1: Yeah, oh, definitely, because he's um, he's killed in events preceding the first game, but he's clearly not actually dead, and he's resurrected in this giant, what do you call it, sort of titan body, which is made out of Adra, which is sort of this living stone which holds souls. And that uh, helps helps sort of feed souls into the world. I suppose
0: it's kind of like a land based coral. The way it manifests, isn't it? A yeah, living yeah. shell that has some sort of lifelike essence. Mm.
1: So he's he's marching around in this giant body, and he's got a little bit of your soul, and you're trying to get it back. But I was thinking, I'm going to side with Ethis. is pretty much what I thought in the end.
0: Yeah, I think he's pretty persuasive, chappy, isn't he?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Every now and again you have a chat with him and he comes across as very level headed, like he's got a plan, he's got an agenda, and then you get sucked into these like dark zones where you have to chat with the council of gods and Barath who's you're doing her whims, and they all seem like absolute nutcases. <laughs> and you're like, honestly, Eerthas may be storming around the dead fire killing people, but at least I can talk to him.
1: <laughs> yeah. Those scenes with the gods are, are quite nice. A little bit too many of them at times I felt. Sometimes it seemed like every other hour the gods were, like, summoning me to their council just to, like, speak
0: at me. Yeah, and they're always just bickering, aren't they?
1: (laughs) Yeah, you'd say something a little bit out of line and they'd be like, quiet you, and then just, like, get on with their chat.
0: Celestial politics definitely didn't seem like a world I wanted to involve myself in. Pretty much all my dialogue options whenever I entered those scenes was, like, the one I thought was going to be the fastest way out.
1: (laughs) But again, the drawings and the art in those little scenes is really nice i think really well realized illustrations of all of the gods they have a lot of character
0: yeah really beautiful quite twisted as well actually come to think
1: of it yeah dark for sure especially that one with six boobies that's Andra, the sea goddess yeah she's kind of like a fish
0: she's like cross between a fish and a cow yeah that's not a slight i mean she's got like udders or whatever
1: (laughs) yeah yeah they're very udder like her um her teats
0: Her pendulous breasts.
1: Yeah, it's hard to... Okay, let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) We should move on to um, the story a little bit more then. Do you want to tell me what happens? We must be in spoiler zone by now.
0: I mean, it's like a novel. How much of a spoiler do you want? Like, you obviously find Aethas, You find him in the middle of this giant volcano Mm. that's exploding. And where actually the goddess of fire is about to explode the volcano to try and stop Aethas. You meet up with him, he rescues you. He's been following these luminous Adra, uh, what are they called? The sort of rocks? Veins? Veins, yeah, the Adra veins. Because he's trying to essentially gather all the power or something. I mean, you know, <laughs> fantasy power. Sure. The gist of it is he's trying to amass power, and then his hope is to actually destroy the wheel of life. Mm. So this way it gets a little bit complicated in a way. And you kind of have to understand the backstory of the law, which is that you've got gods and you've got humans or not. They're not called humans. They're called, um, Kith. Kith. Yeah, that kind of encompasses all the humanoid races, doesn't it, really? Yeah, for sure. And when they die, they go into the sort of rebirth cycle, but that also props up the gods. Like, the gods kind of draw their power and energy from that wheel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his plan is to destroy the wheel so that the gods are no longer propped up automatically. And instead, the Kith have to decide for themselves whether they want the gods, and it's not just the status quo. And, like, have the gods done enough for the Kith to deserve their existence. He doesn't think so, or if he does think so, it's kind of a strange way of showing it. This power has always been in the grasp of mortals. Now you will finally be aware of it. Now you will be able to decide what to do with it. He's going to shake things up, destroy the wheel, and then everyone can decide whether they want that wheel to carry on.
1: Nice. I think I would have backed him then in the end. That seemed to align with my character's sort of instincts and wishes for sure. So yeah, it's nice. And I you I was betting on the right person. What did you end up doing?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's super persuasive, and like, you obviously do want to uh, back his plan. Mainly just because the gods have been pissing you off the whole way through the game, and you're kind of just it's a little bit of a fuck you at the end when you get there, and you're like, oh, everyone else wants me to stop him, so I'm just going to be like, fill your boots, mate. <laughs> <laughs> fill your boots. The weird thing is that that maybe is seen as, like, the evil... Op- I don't think that is seen as the evil option. And that's why it's quite an interesting plot. Because mm. the whole way through, it's almost like you're pursuing Aethas, And you feel like, if you're me, you feel like you're the goody. You're playing it the good way. But actually, you're following the gods' agenda. And their agenda is very self-serving. And you're totally at their whim. You're their puppet. Mm. And so... Really? Are you the goody? Even if you're trying to be like...
1: <laughs> oh, I, I think you're a pawn, aren't you? Same as you were in the first game. You definitely felt like a pawn. Like you have to follow one of the gods' favour to get to the end of the game, and then you promise them that you're going to end the game in a certain way. But all of the all of the ways in which you can end the game, I think, if I'm remembering rightly, appease one god or another. So I guess it's the same in this one—a pawn in the gods' game.
0: Yeah. Except the mirror image, because... Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. You can destroy them all, for sure.
0: There were a few elements in the story where it felt like it had missed a trick. Like, for instance, I met a guy in Dunnage who had a black pearl trapped in his gut, and he wanted me to buy some laxative, right? And I thought, nah, I'm not gonna... If you've got a pearl trapped in your gut... This was just a trial, by the way. I was obviously playing good, so I just thought, I'll just see whether the game has allowed for this. So I thought, no, I'll just kill you and then take it, which I did. But when I killed him, it wasn't on his corpse. And I was like, come on. because <laughs> it's in his stomach, mate. Yeah, but I could have cut him open. It didn't give me the option.
1: Yeah, that's, that's fair. I can't believe that. That's, I really sympathise with that guy. really constipated man in an inn what even as an evil guy you went and helped him out i don't know like you help out the constipated man don't you that quest i thought was jokes it's like you go on a little treasure hunt for all these ingredients around dunwich this little pirate city then come back and he just shits out a pearl and gives it to you and that's literally it you just get a pearl (laughs) (laughs) it's like i've already got 10
0: Yeah, and they're not even worth very much. And I was never sure whether to sell them in case I needed them for crafting, which, by the way, I never, ever did.
1: Oh my God, yeah. Made the mistake of, like, pumping up my alchemy and it's like, I don't know why I went for alchemy. I know the crafting system in this game is so opaque that I'm never, ever going to use it. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man, that's funny.
0: One thing I did want to say that I loved about the game. Yeah, go on. There is a lovely little quit to desktop button. Wow. Which is always a win for me. I knew I was going to enjoy the game as soon as I saw that.
1: As soon as you saw that, quit to desktop button. <laughs> so minor.
0: I knew, like, this is a game that isn't going to just waste my time. And I'd say it didn't. Like, it had plenty for me to explore if I wanted to, but I could also just pursue the main plot in a fairly dogged fashion, which is what mm. I ultimately did choose to do, more or less. I also just loved the music, which is mm. very Howard Shore, Lord of the Rings. The score was extremely epic, yeah, really yeah. so. Agreed.
1: Da, 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 da. So good. I love the main theme And the um the sea shanties I loved as well.
0: Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Didn't you want us to sing a sea shanty at one point? I remember when we were chatting about an intro.
1: Yeah, you vetoed the sea shanty idea. What I thought was cool about the sea shanties is... The sea shanties in Assassin's Creed Black Flag were really nice as well, but I'm pretty sure they were real sea shanties. Whereas these ones are made with the words and the themes from the game. So there's one that's all about Andra, the god of the sea, and talks about all the locations in the game. And I thought this is the way that I wanna digest lore in games <laughs> through the form of sea shanties.
0: Wow, well, that is really cool. I didn't even notice. <laughs> Did
1: you not? They sing it quite often.
0: No, I didn't I didn't realise that.
1: That's like showing not telling, isn't it? Classic storytelling uh, device.
0: Story showing device. Story
1: showing device, indeed. <laughs>
0: Oh man. Indeed. Overall, I thought it was a pretty masterful traditional RPG, actually. I'd say fans of the genre will definitely find something to love. But I did start to wonder if maybe I was not as much of a fan of the genre anymore as I once was. Because even though a lot of the ideas are original and it's developing its own lore... It does feel a little bit for me like being there, done that, got the t-shirt. <laughs> mm. And I'm not sure if the genre is innovating enough, even setting it in an archipelago. And Am I pronouncing that right?
1: <laughs> archipelago? Yeah, definitely.
0: Oh man, it's one of those words I've always struggled with. I used to say archipelago.
1: Yeah, I did used to say that as well, to be fair.
0: What, a pair of noobs?
1: pair of bloody noobs. <laughs> I am um, exactly the same as you. I think it was a masterful game. If you love this kind of game you absolutely love it but over the last 3 weeks i just wasn't in the right place to enjoy it and i think i could be again i'd never write it off but you do have to you do have to really want some form of escapism and have a lot of time to escape with to enjoy it i think and uh, yeah that just wasn't really me for the last 3 weeks i did my usual thing of playing it an hour most days and then more like a little bit more of binges on weekends but yeah i never I never felt addicted. Like, you sent that text all those years ago when the first one came out saying, like, worst thing is about it, it's so addictive. And I just felt the opposite. Like, I didn't find it addictive at like, all, oh, really.
0: I think it's exposure, it's taste, it's where you're at, it's what you're surrounded by. And we've both played a lot of these kind of games, and it's hard to find it fresh. And also maybe what we're looking for. Like, I'm really psyched. I'm not actually going to say what I'm really psyched for. I'll keep you guessing because yeah. we've decided on a future game. But it's not the next one we're covering. So you're just going to have to wait. But yeah, for a different genre, let's say, of game, just because that's what I'm looking for right now. I'm just really excited to be playing that. But yeah, this, maybe it feels to me a little bit passe. Like I saw they announced a new game, Avowed, I think it's called. Avowed, yeah. And my initial reaction was like, oh, that's cool. But then I was kind of like, mm, more of the same, I imagine.
1: Yeah. The fact that it did so much and there was so much content there, so many systems, so much to look at and digest and administer, definitely didn't make it any easier for me to really get into it. And I would say if it had been pared back a bit, I probably would be able to, but it's going for something completely different. So all the power to it and it it was very well executed.
0: Yeah. One thing I would say about their new game, Avowed, though, is that I've since seen a lot of comparisons between that and Skyrim. It's not isometric, it's first person. So I probably still will give it a whirl. I'm not going to write it off, you know. Only an idiot would neglect an opportunity to partake in another experience like the Elder Scrolls. Surely we're going to do Baldur's Gate 3 when it comes out of early access, as well. Well, yeah, obviously. Oh, there'll be plenty more RPGs, listeners. (laughs) There'll be plenty more RPGs.
1: Yeah, I hope I'm more enthusiastic about that one as well.
0: I think for you it's just a timing thing. I really enjoyed it. By the time I got to the end, I felt pretty in control. I thought the storyline wrapped up in a really tidy way. It was thoroughly enjoyable.
1: Great stuff. Well, should we say what we're playing next?
0: And now for something completely different.
1: Yeah, completely different. And I'm excited about this now as well. Because when you suggested it, because I've already started it a little bit, although I haven't played it hardly at all. I was kind of like, mm. what, when did you start it? I started it years and years and years ago, like right back when it first came out.
0: Okay, all right, you're forgiven, I thought you'd started it after berating me in those early episodes for getting ahead of the game.
1: No, 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 no. I've hardly even touched the surface of it, but um, it's a game that I've been meaning to go back to anyway,
0: and it is. You ready? Yeah. Wow. Well, what is it, Tao? <laughs> One, two, three, four, one, two, three, mother Well, <laughs> <up.
1: laughs> it's Kentucky Route Zero. I don't know what I was expecting you to say that. Yeah, Kentucky Route Zero from the same studio that brought us Outer Wilds. Just make sure I've said that correctly when I don't have. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited about it.
0: It's meant to be very surrealist and defying the boundaries of gaming.
1: Wow. Top talk. Top talk.
0: Whatever those boundaries are. Find out next time on Pixel Vision. (laughs) I'm Ben.
1: And I'm Teo
0: And this is... Motherfucking Pixel Vision, bitches! (laughs) (laughs) You told me you weren't going to do that. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. (laughs)